Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Death of Death podcast, where we proclaim Christ's victory over sin, death, and everything else. I'm your host, as always, Nick Stewart. Actually, it's Detective Stewart to you. Um, we keep getting things stolen off of our patio in our apartment complex, so I spent uh, the morning canvassing the entire complex, looking at everyone's balconies for our chairs, tried to get some statements from uh, some witnesses, but no one's returning my calls. So I just figured, uh, you know, here's the thing with witnesses. I've learned from watching so much true crime over the years that uh, you don't know what you know. Uh, you know, you saw someone in the apartment complex carrying a patio chair two days ago. Why would you think that's relevant unless someone really angry comes up to you and starts asking you questions about it, right? So I'm trying to get as much info from those days as I can, and uh, something must pop up eventually. Someone knows something. Someone saw something. Isn't that exciting to know there's a mystery that you're going to crack and maybe bring down an elite crew of thieves in the Oklahoma City area. I'll keep you updated on my progress as this case unfolds. I know that you're all super interested and on the edge of your seat to know what happens. I want to revisit something that we've talked about on the show before, which is the false religion of statism. And uh, the last time we talked about it, it feels like we talked about it super recently, but that was before the election even happened. Uh, so as you can imagine, uh, a lot has taken place. There's a lot of stuff to talk about, and I don't talk about politics a whole lot on this show, so I just figured we could do one episode to talk about a few of the big events since, uh, you know, October, I guess, was our last episode on this. Uh, one thing I want to point out... Uh, in the beginning is the fact that uh, the religion of statism is really made up of a lot of different like smaller sects you know like um, environmentalism is kind of its own religion uh, with its own kind of world view uh, but it's all kind of within the greater religion of statism uh, democracy is kind of its own thing the constitution has its own religious following uh, you know COVID has definitely become its own sect cult thing in a lot of ways and i'm going to talk about that more toward the end of the show uh so since we last talked about this uh we've seen some of these smaller ones grow in intensity and obviously that means that the entire thing is kind of growing in intensity um you know i i, I listen to like old punk rock and like old classic hip-hop and i just miss the days when cool people hated the government you know like, when, when did that go away? When was it suddenly, like, cool to vote for someone who's been in the government for 50-plus years? I just uh, don't know what happened. Um, so it's it's kind of like how a lot of people view Christianity. You know, we, on the inside of Christianity, as believers, see it a little differently. Um, you know, we see our differences with, uh, like, the Catholics, for instance, as pretty huge issues, and that's true. But from the outside, people view us as basically the same, you know, with a few small differences. But, you know, ultimately the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the Bible, these are the most fundamental to our faith. And those things are true to Catholics and Protestants alike. So there is kind of this thing that, that uh, you know, unites us, even though on, on some very important issues, perhaps even salvific ones, we have, we have 
disagreements. Um, you know, so we see the uh, Republican Party and the Democratic Party as maybe two different denominations of like Methodism. You know, uh, for those of us outside of Methodism, we probably don't really care about the difference between two denominations. Um, but for them, it's big enough to separate over and, and consider themselves, you know, different entities. And I think uh, two or three things have happened since the last time we spoke about this. And I want to try to cover all the main ones today. Uh, but, you know, it's just important for us to realize, like, yeah, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats, you know, have their differences. But in the grand scheme of things, they're not totally different things. Like, they are pretty much just smaller parts of this huge religion of, of statism. So, uh first thing we need to talk about is this blatant uh, blind worship of democracy as if it was like this transcendent righteous thing um, I recall mentioning this before the election so it's not as if you know democracy worship wasn't a thing before uh, but it has definitely risen to new heights as these things often do they they all kind of just keep growing in intensity until something breaks uh, I just don't know what the nature of that is going to be but one side is is questioning the legitimacy of the last election. One side is saying nothing to see here, you know, but both of these positions are largely based in the same faith. It's this overvaluing of uh, democracy. And, you know, I know this this might be slightly out of vogue now that uh, Biden is president and, and no one's really talking about whether the election was true or not. But but, you know. Believe me, that everyone on on one side of this still believes that that was a, a huge miscarriage of justice. So it is something worth talking about. Um, you know, so so Trump and his followers are largely believe the last election to be rigged. And now I haven't seen any objective evidence that that was the case. So I definitely wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that outright. But um, there was definitely some funny business going on. I think that's a nice way of saying it. But who knows what the the nature of it actually was, you know? I think the strongest piece of evidence in favor of it being rigged was that people signed sworn affidavits and testified in court that they were used to pull this thing off. You know, I, I recall a truck driver claiming that he was used to move massive amounts of ballots in the late hours of election night. Uh, you know, but here's the problem. I don't know that any election in our country's history has ever been, quote unquote, legitimate you know i've never sat down and counted every ballot for myself to see that that's the case you know we are all just trusting someone from the government to tell us that everything was counted correctly and that everything is above board and you know i don't know if you know this but doing things above board and doing things well are not exactly things that the government's known for um so that should be suspicious at best uh, you know, for all for all I know, no president in my lifetime was elected legitimately. And I mean, you know, legitimate in the framework of our elections. I don't mean objectively legitimate because no president is objectively legitimate. Uh, on the other hand, I also have, you know, no idea if this person is telling the truth. I mean, I can't uh, work out their motivation to lie because, you know, the people who testified lost their jobs faced, you know, intense media scrutiny, lost friends and family, and they had to have known that those things were coming. I mean, if I made a very public statement that casted suspicion on the Democratic Party, 
I would be looking over my shoulder for quite a while because uh, we all know how their playbook operates. So I can't figure out why they would lie about this thing, but that still doesn't objectively show me that what they're claiming is true or that they understood fully what was happening when the events took place. You know, I'm not really making a judgment on that one way or the other. What is the most damning evidence to me um, that's something, you know, as John Mulaney would say, that uh, something hinky is going on, uh, is the very intense push to silence anyone making claims like this. Uh, I mean, the president of the United States was banned from Twitter because he was saying these things. You know, so the the story being presented as if they're trying to maintain the legitimacy of our elections, you know, so they, they need to squash false information wherever they can, you know, that's, that's what we're being told. But if there was absolutely no truth to it, I, I feel like they would just let idiots make idiots of themselves, you know, and go to court and prove their case and they would be proven right. And wouldn't that be a better attack against Trump than silencing him? Uh, you know, I feel like uh, that's, you know, really looks like you're guilty of something if you're silencing anyone who's talking about what you did, you know. So the fact that they were trying so hard to keep people from even talking about it uh, indicated to me that they, you know, strongly indicated to me that they, they had something to hide. Uh, I mean, like the Russian collusion scandal turned out to be completely fake and, and nobody cared about spreading that misinformation. So it all just depends on what suits them at the time, you know. Uh, but the reason both sides of this are, are rooted in the same faith is because both sides are coming from this wholehearted devotion to democracy. You know, the Republicans are mad at the perceived injustice of rigging an election because it casts doubts on our democracy. Meanwhile, the Democrats are claiming that they want misinformation about the election being, uh, you know, a, a fraud to be silenced because they don't want to cast down on our democracy. And both of these parties are doing what they're doing because of their faith in democracy and and the actions are uh, totally antithetical to one another. Now we can debate, you know, whether either of these sides actually care about democracy, but but that's the that's the message being spread. That's that's what they're saying. They're saying that it's because of, uh, you know, the integrity of our elections and the sacred democracy and all these words that, um, you know, that they're they're fighting in the ways that they are. And it also just goes to show you how unprincipled they really are, um, because, you know, what did the Democratic Party do for four years? Uh, they, you know, framed Trump for a, a Russian collusion scandal thing and tried to cast out on the legitimacy of the last election. And then as soon as Trump starts making these claims that it was rigged, they're like all of a sudden, you know, mad at him and, and saying you can't do that. It's like. Well, of course, an election could be rigged if, if you, you know, just spent four years trying to convince us that, that 2016 was rigged, you know. So, I don't know, it's just silly to me that uh, they can switch sides so easily and, uh, you know, I don't know. But uh, here's, here's the thing about democracy. It is a neutral tool, you know. It's not an objectively good or bad thing. It has been used to achieve objectively good things and most of the time like 99% of the time, it's used to achieve objectively bad things. Every president, senator, and congressman was placed in the government by a democratic election. A lot of laws and taxes and things that we hate were placed there by democracy. 
whichever side you happen to be on, whatever you hate about government was probably accomplished by democracy. You know, some taxes and laws and things are imposed on us without voting for them, but the people who, and you know, who put those laws there were put there democratically. So you can blame that ultimately on democracy too. You know, democracy is just majority rule or mob rule, if you will. You know, I, I think I think we can all agree that the majority of people wanting something doesn't make it an objectively good thing. You know, Dave Smith gives uh, the analogy all the time of, uh, you know, I'm going to butcher it, but let's say five people, and they put it to a vote whether they should beat up one of those five people. So the vote comes out, uh, you know, four of those five guys are in favor of beating up the fifth guy, and the fifth guy obviously votes no, but too bad, the vote was four to one, you know, majority rules that you beat the guy up. So is that legitimate? Does that make it like a good thing because the majority wanted it? Like, no, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a neutral tool. It can be used well and it can be used horribly, uh, you know, but let's say that one guy wants to boss the other four around and take half of their money. Now they put to a vote whether he should do that and it's four against one. That guy doesn't get to be a tyrant. So was that a good use of democracy? Yes, in both these cases, it is it is not democracy making something good or legitimate or bad or illegitimate. Uh, democracy in both cases was the tool used to achieve something. It was used for bad and then it was used for good. And um, in either case, it was completely arbitrary, you know, because those people did not have to put to a vote whether four people beat up one person or whether one person takes half of the money of the other four. They didn't have to vote on that, you know. But uh, so, I mean, it was still no matter how it was used, it was still completely arbitrary and just, you know, a decision to put it to a vote. So we all agreed that that's how it would be done. And then respected the results you know it's not it doesn't mean it's a good system it's just what we decided to do you know so why worship this neutral tool as if it was objectively good or bad you know and make no mistake people are worshiping it i've never heard the word sacred thrown around uh you know next to the word democracy so many times as i did right after the election you know uh, for the news to be using the word sacred, <laughs> just weird, right? Uh, it is a holy institution in the religion of statism, specifically, you know, American statism. And, and it's not a very good institution either, you know? Um, Jeff Durbin, I can't remember if I was, if I said this on uh, one of the last episodes where I talked about this kind of stuff, but Jeff Durbin was uh, talking about the election on Apologia Radio, and I love Jeff Durbin, so don't uh, confuse this, but he was talking about how Joe Biden is a communist. And he's not, but that's what Jeff Durbin was saying. But he was saying that Jeff, uh, you know, Joe Biden is a communist and, and that the election being rigged was so bad because we need to maintain the integrity of our democracy. Well, in your view, the democratic system could have gotten a communist elected, right? Like, what if it wasn't rigged and he still won? You know, would, would he then be an objectively good choice because the majority of people voted for him? Like, no. So democracy isn't really this good or bad thing. Like, if it's possible for a communist to become president, then it's not a very good system, is it? You know, in fact, the argument could be made that democracy is an objectively bad thing 
just as easily as you can make the argument that the majority of people want objectively bad things. And in case you haven't figured it out yet, I definitely believe that. I do believe that the majority of people want objectively bad things. <laughs> Not for any nefarious reasons, mind you, you know, but just because they're uninformed. Like, who doesn't want people to have health care? You know, that's a perfect example of an issue where people technically want the right things, but they've, you know, been deceived as, you know, as to how we get them. Health insurance and health care are two completely diff different things, but the state has made them synonymous. You know, to have the care of a doctor, you must have insurance that will cover all of your costs. And if possible, that insurance will be paid for by someone else. So ask yourself this question. Why has healthcare been such a huge issue in the government for at least 10 years now, if not a little longer, uh, yet the prices continue rising to unaffordable levels? You know, think about it. You know, the, the prices continue to rise because regulations make things more expensive. Long story short, uh, you will notice that the more government intervenes in the healthcare market, the more expensive it's going to be even if they claim to want to give you free health care. You know, uh, best case scenario when it comes to government health care would be that they do find a way to provide it free across the board to everybody. Uh, but the reality is that it, it still won't be free. You know, the only way for it to be 100% free would be to force doctors to work for free. And that's not going to happen. And I'm not even sure you could argue that that's free anyway, because you're still taking something from the doctors. And it would be morally wrong if you did that, by the way, if you haven't, you know, figured that out. Uh, it would technically be slavery, you know, forcing someone to work for free. So they'll pay for it through your taxes or borrowing or inflation. And, and all of those things are technically taxes, by the way. You know, taxes mean you pay. Borrowing means you pay later. And inflation means that the amount of dollars in your bank account may not change, but their value will be diminished. So, you know, you're paying by losing value in your dollars. Uh, you know, so even if that doesn't feel like stealing, it, it still is. Uh, if I have $1 today and $1 a year from now, but a year from now it can only buy what 50 cents used to buy, then I technically have lost some money. Because <laughs> if the money loses value, it's the same as losing a portion of that money. It's like they stole 50 cents from me over the course of a year, even though my dollar remained a dollar. So it's, it's you know, been called the hidden tax, you know, a, a tax that you don't really see with, with actual dollar amounts. It's just the value of things start to <laughs> drop. But if you put it to a vote, I'm relatively certain that most people would vote for some kind of free healthcare system. You know, they have no idea what they're doing, you know, but best case scenario, they're inflating the heck out of our money to pay for it. And that means they're stealing from you. And worst case scenario, they regulate things more and make healthcare way more expensive without actually being able to provide any of the services they promised, leaving us to pay twice as much for a checkup as we used to. So in that example, as it is in every example, the majority of people have been tricked into voting for something that's actually objectively bad. So case in point, we're talking about the election. Joe Biden and Donald Trump were both objectively bad candidates. But by limiting the people's options to two, 
they were forcing you to make a bad choice that they believed was a good choice, you know, and they got, they, I mean, they got you to believe it was a good choice. I, I guess I should say most people <laughs> believed that they were making the right choice, even if their rationale was that they wanted, you know, the other candidate to lose because he's worse. You know, so many people uh, voted for one guy because they just didn't want the other guy. Democracy is fine, I guess, when a, a group of friends are trying to decide, you know, where to have dinner, but it's still arbitrary and says nothing to the objective value of where you end up having dinner. You know, it's just a way to satisfy the most people in the car. You know, one restaurant might be an objectively better choice. Uh, imagine there was a restaurant with the cheapest food in town and it was also the best possible kind of food. Uh, and they had all different types of food, and it was healthy. You know, one person could get sushi, the other person could get a burrito, etc. And, you know, one person could get waffles, whatever. And it was all really good food, and it was cheaper. Now, that would not be a bad restaurant if one person in the car forced the other four people in the car to go there. It would just be a contentious decision. It would be a decision that most people in the car weren't okay with until they got there and saw how great the restaurant was, you know? If they democratically choose to go to a two-star motel diner, uh, it doesn't mean that's objectively the best option in town. It just means that the majority of people in the car wanted to go there, uh, you know? But three or more people in the car voted to go there because they like the outfits that the waitresses wear. You know, so it was a pretty bad choice of restaurant for a pretty insignificant reason. And that one person in the car knows about the amazing restaurant with cheap, good, and plentiful food. And he knows that an objectively bad decision has been made. But he, he might still concede to the hotel diner because it makes the most people happy in the short term. But, but if he had just driven to the nice restaurant instead of putting it to a vote, then everyone would have enjoyed the food and probably would have chosen to go there, you know, any time they got the chance to. So that's basically an analogy for freedom, you know, see democracy and, and state subsidies and, and just all the stuff I hate are analogous to the waitress outfits. You know, it might be pleasing to the eye, but it actually gives you no nourishment, you know, the food provided by those waitresses is undercooked. Uh, it doesn't come out of the kitchen for an hour and a half. Probably a spit in it, you know, and it costs three times as much as the other restaurant. Uh, but freedom is that other restaurant, the good restaurant, the one where they figured out how to give everybody everything they wanted for the cheapest price. But they never go to that restaurant because one person is afraid to take away the waitress outfits from the rest of his friends. You know, he knows that they won't understand his decision in the short term. You know, he, he knows that they'll be mad at him. So, you know, he knows that he's going to, you know, deprive them of something or that they're going to feel deprived of something. So democracy might kind of work in a situation where five people are trying to decide where to go to dinner, but the stakes are so low get at the stakes but it, it doesn't uh you know it doesn't work when it involves authoritarian leaders and policies that are going to negatively impact other people's lives you know so that all happened after the last episode i did on the state religion but you know what happened after that the temple was ransacked did you know about this did you hear about this yes uh you know some followers of donald trump stormed a house of worship breaking the windows, defiling the offices. People got really upset about it. 
And I'm obviously referring to what, uh, you know, has become known as the Capitol storming on January 6th. Uh, anyone who's been following the story knows that we still don't have all the details that we need. So let me be as objective as I can. Trump had a rally in D.C. on January 6th and encouraged his followers to go to the Capitol and protest. Uh, he's being accused of inciting a riot. I read most of the transcript of that speech, in, you know, in order to get to the bottom of it. And uh, let me tell you, the only thing harder than listening to Trump is reading a transcript of his words. Uh, it's so unfocused. It's just aggravating. Uh, but he's being accused of inciting a riot. Uh, so I wanted to see if that was true. The only thing I found in the transcript, as far as an actual call to action goes, uh, was that he said, let's walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. He also said the words fight like hell, which I believe is the language that got him in, into trouble. But uh, in reality, what politician hasn't said something like that? You know, what he, what he actually said was, we fight, we fight like hell. So whatever fighting means in that statement, it referred to something already taking place, not something that was about to, you know, about to happen. So anyways, a bunch of people left that rally and went to protest at the Capitol. Things escalated, I guess you could say. Uh, I always think of Anchorman when I say escalate. Um, so a bunch of people started forcing their way into the Capitol and they broke a bunch of windows and doors. And after that, you know pretty tame riot by any recent standard. I mean, the ones over the summer killed a lot of civilians and burned down a lot of businesses. And, and this one, nah, you know, I, I saw a picture of one guy walking off with the congressional pulpit and, you know, some people took selfies sitting at Nancy Pelosi's desk. Um, did I say Pelosi like a Polish? She's, she's a bad person, but I don't think she's a Polish person. Nancy Pelosi's desk, you know, whatever, uh, you know, Trump took to Twitter after, you know, it seemed to evolve into a riot and, uh, he specifically told his, his followers to act peacefully, but, you know, so that's kind of the best I can do to sum up what actually happened. You know, pretty much everything else is questionable. So this is being spun as domestic terrorism, uh, an attempted coup, an insurrection, an armed takeover, it's just not, you know, like maybe something will come out that we don't know yet, but so much has come out that kind of seems to point in the direction of this not really being that big of a deal. Um, you know, before we go any further, before I get personal, five people did die. I'm not going to ignore that. Uh, the only one of those five objectively without a question <laughs> was murdered was a Trump supporter who was killed by Capitol Police. And I don't use the term murder loosely there. I, I've seen a video. Well, I've seen a couple different videos. Um, the first one I saw, brutal. Uh, I couldn't find it again. <laughs> so I, I can't, you know, link to this or anything. But um, basically there are some, some doors with windows. And the protesters are on one side of the glass trying to break in. And there are police on both sides. The protesters are breaking down the doors. But uh, you can see both sides of this through the whole video. And uh, here's the thing. There are police on both sides of the doors. They're breaking down the doors for several minutes, it seems like. And then seemingly kind of out of nowhere, uh, one of the officers on the inside of the glass fires through the window and kills a woman named Ashley Babbitt. 
So I saw a couple different videos, like I said. Uh, first one I saw, thought the officer shot her like five times. You know, again, I couldn't find that video again. I could only find it on like news sites that uh, wouldn't show the actual shooting. Uh, she also didn't seem to be the most aggressive one at the door. It kind of seemed like she was just standing there while other people were breaking down the door. I don't know, but uh, I couldn't find that video again, so I won't say that definitively. But, uh, you know, from any angle, uh, they didn't need to shoot her at the time. And, and whether they shot her once or, or like five times, I don't know. Um, the different videos I saw seemed to kind of indicate different things. But um, it was brutal. But, uh, you know, there are other cops around her. Uh, this officer definitely risked shooting another officer and possibly some other people, you know, and for what? Because they were breaking down the doors? Like, I get that scary, but there are literally cops standing next to them. Like, what changed the situation all of a sudden that you needed to start firing a weapon into a crowd of protesters and police? Like, if you're not going to be upset about the protesters, at least be upset that other cops were put in danger by this guy. Um, you know, they ended up evacuating and, and the protesters kind of had their run of the Capitol anyways. So it was kind of all for nothing. Um, whatever the case, police on the same side of the glass did not consider themselves to be in enough danger to shoot her but the police on the other side of the glass did. So that should be at least questionable. Uh, I'm sure we won't see any big trial for that guy, though. We're probably going to like get a Monday off in March every year to celebrate that guy for the rest of our lives. So that's one. Ashley Babbitt's one. She was objectively killed, but she was a Trump supporter. She was killed by police. Okay. Brian Sicknick was an officer who died. It was originally being reported that he was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher, but some other people, including his own mother and I think his brother, uh, were actually saying that he died of a stroke. So I can't make a definitive statement on that one, but I don't know. It's kind of looking like a stroke. So um, the thing you got to know about Sicknick was that he was actually a thief. Uh, it's true. Stole my name. I'm Sicknick. Don't let anyone tell you differently. I've been in and out of court for years suing Slick Rick, which is a derivative of Sick Nick. And then I finally get all that sorted out. And then here comes this guy. This guy that thinks he's Sick Nick. Makes, it makes me sick. That's what it really does. Uh, the other three people who died were... <laughs> Everyone just uh, ignore my mental illness and <laughs> move on to the next thing. <laughs> the other three people uh, who died were, were all protesters. They were all Trump-supporting protesters or rioters, whatever you want to call them. Uh, Kevin Greeson, heart attack. Roseanne Boyland, she was crushed by a crowd. And Benjamin Phillips, who also had a stroke. Uh, so maybe the protesters killed one cop, but it looks like he died of a stroke. Either way, this comes after the cops killed one of them for no visible reason, so I don't know. Uh, it would be weird to me if, if Sicknick was the only person killed by the protesters and for his death to be as brutal as they were claiming. Uh, like, why just one person? And why so severe? Like, it just doesn't match with the rest of the information we're getting. Like, why would one person just kill, like, bludgeon someone with a fire extinguisher and then nothing else happens like that, you know? So we'll have to wait and see what eventually comes out of all that. 
um, I did try to find stats on how common heart attacks are during riots, but I couldn't find anything that didn't relate directly to this event. So I tried to provide you with that information. Maybe it's not super rare for like five people to die of heart attacks during a riot of that scale, you know, like for all I know, maybe it's pretty common and it's not even like, I mean, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be held responsible, but uh, you know, maybe it's not that weird of a thing to happen. So another thing that's got to be addressed is the guy with zip ties. Much was made out of this guy. After he was arrested, they found zip ties on him. Um, there, There is actually a picture of him holding the zip ties in, in um, the Congress, whatever the worship room is where the, the Congress people sit and ruin all of our lives. Uh, you know, he was jumping over the the pews or whatever you call it. Um, so that looks like, uh, you know, he showed up looking to take prisoners and I can't say I wouldn't have loved to see some congressmen in zip ties, but Hey, they would, that would be a, you know, a violent and technically wrong. Uh, you know, mostly it's just wrong to stoop to their level like that. Um, the first thing I heard that made me question this, um, this whole, you know, zip tie thing, was that there was a video of him stopping other protesters from disrespecting the building. Like, I saw the video when it when it first came out, um, but you know how that goes. You can't find that video anymore. I don't know where it went all of a sudden. Uh, but I remember him throwing someone out of a chair. Like, uh, they were sitting in someone's chair, and he, like, threw them out of the chair and, like, were, was telling them to respect it. And... Um, and like he kept people from messing with some of the fixtures and stuff. So, I mean, he looked like he was trying to control the, the crowd that was protesting. So why would someone showing up to take prisoners be so concerned with respecting the Capitol? And I guess it has turned out now that the zip ties belong to Capitol police and that they were carelessly left somewhere. And this man, Eric Munchell took them so that no one would use them for any nefarious purposes. That's what he's claiming ultimately doesn't matter if that's true or not because he didn't tie anyone up <laughs> so i mean it's it's the same thing we'll talk about the weapons in a second but it's like if if none of this ended up getting used for anything wrong then i don't know you're gonna have a tough time proving what the nature of those things actually was you know um it's also been described as an armed takeover but i i really didn't see a lot of guns in the videos i saw um you know what? That's dishonest. I didn't see any guns in any of the videos I saw, but I'm afraid to make that hard of a statement because there may have been some, you know, as far as I know, all the guns that they found that were found on people who were already arrested, meaning they weren't out for everyone to see until the people were searched by police. So even when the police were murdering a fellow protester, the guns were not turned on them that's saying something. So, I mean, clearly no guns were being taken out and used for this riot. They just happened to have them on them. Probably they probably carried a gun to the rally and then ended up at the Capitol later. So all that adds up to most of the media reporting was false or blown out of proportion or intentionally misleading in a lot of cases. Um, you know, you're going to hear the story and it's going to be reported as a, the Capitol riot where five people died. But it turns out four of them were protesters. Four of them died accidentally. <laughs> Roseanne Boyland was crushed by the crowd, but I'm assuming she wasn't crushed on purpose, obviously. I mean, how could you 
coordinate that with so many people to uh you know kill her for such a weird in such a weird way and for such a weird reason probably um so it, it basically all comes down to whether sicknick died of a, a stroke or was actually beaten with a fire extinguisher but uh with the way everything else is turning out definitely leaning toward one of those theories over the other uh so why go through all that I just wanted to get it out of the way before I start actually talking about what I actually want to talk about because I don't want the conversation to get twisted. I, I don't want people thinking that I support killing cops or violent takeovers or anything like that. I have no reason to believe that anyone was killed intentionally or that this was any kind of a coup or takeover. This was a protest that got out of hand and the only people, you know, definitively murdered were murdered by the state uh ironically this was actually a mostly peaceful protest you know i did hear that that phrase get thrown around uh, you know thrown out a lot over the summer and it wasn't true uh but in this case it actually kind of was true like you know they broke some stuff but you know it was a mostly peaceful protest in my opinion um <laughs> So why is it that this event, you know, was portrayed in the media the way that it was, you know, while the BLM riots over the summer were portrayed the way they were? And I don't mean to keep throwing these two things together. Uh, it's just I, I feel like I cannot talk about the Capitol without mentioning the BLM protests because those were protests essentially backed by the state. I mean, you had congressmen and senators approving of these riots over the summer and then this thing happens and and now it's it's compared to 9/11. It's the worst thing that's ever happened on American soil. So it's just it's too ironic not to talk about these things together like this. So I'm not trying to compare them really. I'm just saying it's ironic. I don't know. Um but you know, why were the riots that killed 19 people that we know of? probably more, and destroyed a lot of personal property all across the country with wide-scale looting and assaults taking place all over. Like, why are those portrayed as mostly peaceful protests while a protest that destroyed nothing except a government building and caused some people to die of stress-induced causes, <laughs> you know, ruled as an insurrection or a violent coup? Well, I'm going to tell you something right now that you've probably never heard before. You might want to take a seat. If any of you are driving, pull over. Chris Jameson, if you're uh, listening to this at work, you might want to hang up the phone. Here it is, everybody. The state cares more about itself than it does about personal property or civilian lives. Now, I know that's going to take a moment. Probably never going to see the world quite the same way. Let's just have a moment of silence for the death of your innocence right now. All right, that was long enough. Uh, the reason these protests or riots or whatever you want to call them were so qualitatively different from one another is because in one of them, a temple was destroyed and the lives of the priesthood seemed to be threatened. And in the other one, it was just regular stupid old people. You know, just stupid like business owners who contribute to society. Now, I do not support violence of any kind. I do not support the destruction of property. But I'd be lying if I said I care whether or not some windows were broken at a government building. We're ultimately going to pay for it, so I know I should care, at least on that level, but I, I really super don't. I got, I got some pushback on a few Facebook posts I did during the protest. 
the point of one post was that it wasn't as bad as the BLM riots. The point of the other one was that you shouldn't feel bad for politicians. And I stand by both of those sentiments, really. Uh, I actually had someone tell me that they disagreed with my statement that the BLM riots were worse. And that I did not expect. Uh, by what metric could you possibly make that claim? The, here's the answer. Delusion. Uh, we need that meme from the office with, with Jim and the whiteboard. And he just says, delusion. Uh, only by delusion are, are the results of the Capitol riot worse than the BLM riots. Uh, but if you care more about the priesthood than you do about personal property and civilian lives and the injuries that people sustained, then yeah, it makes sense. If, if congressmen are qualitatively better than civilians, then it makes sense. But, but still, none of them died. So it's not even like, you know, making that comparison really counts. You know, if congressmen died and civilians died, then okay, we can make a comparison maybe, but... The, you know, the congressmen weren't even affected. <laughs> like, they had to leave work for the day. Oh, bummer. For, for anyone thinking that I liked the riot at the Capitol, now's the time that I should clarify. Um, there was something pretty exciting about a state building being attacked, but no, I don't like violence, and I don't like destruction of property. Uh, I, you know, here's to anyone who thinks that I'm on the side of the the capital rioters um here's all you need to know about me i don't hate the government because i love violence i hate the government because i hate violence there you go so if you if you want to make an assessment about me and it doesn't fit into that statement then you've made a, a misstep in your logic however after watching private businesses destroyed all summer long seeing uh, innocent civilians assaulted in the streets and seeing the state do basically nothing about it. Uh, I have to say, a few broken windows at a government building doesn't bother me that much. I mean, all of the destruction was fixed. It's all over now. <laughs> but uh, there are a lot of businesses that were destroyed during the BLM riots that will probably never open their doors again because they couldn't afford to. Uh, you know, mind you, those riots came after months of the state forcing these businesses not to be open, you know, forcing these businesses to be closed. I think my main problem with the Capitol riot was their cause. You know, um, obviously, anyone who participated in that is going to be labeled a terrorist and is probably going away for the rest of their lives. So that was super stupid on a personal level. But like, okay, if you think you're like serving this greater good then like ah, okay maybe you know um but but the cause was stupid too the election was a very stupid reason to storm the capital like if they had been rioting over the lockdowns that'd probably be a different story you know um like like think about that the government did what they did through the lockdowns all year long and that wasn't enough to get you to riot but then you know trump says that the election was stolen from him and now you're ready to go and and break some windows like you know like why <laughs> stop stop listening to the people in charge of you like they are lying to you they're all lying to you um you know i i have to say and if anyone from you know the fbi or the the nsa is listening you should know that this show is satire and I'm not at all talking about killing congressmen. You get it. 
here's what I have to say. Uh, if the government did what they did all throughout 2020 and continue to do into this year and probably for years to come, forcing people not to work, forcing people to wear masks, shutting businesses down, not letting people see their families or celebrate holidays together. In some cases, uh, they even did things that directly led to people's deaths. So so if, if this group of people had gone down to the Capitol to protest those things and a few congressmen got killed, all right, I mean, like, basic cause and effect would tell you that they were risking their life, you know, fr from the outset, treating people that way, you know, but take that with a grain of salt, because, you know, you're literally listening to someone who lost a lot because of the lockdowns, you know, S job, school, church, extended family, basic human freedoms, wedding got canceled, <laughs> the list goes on. I'm just saying, you're not talking to an unbiased person when it comes to the evils that the government committed. So, you know, um, so, you know, I'm not going to go kill congressmen and waste the rest of my life in jail. But, you know, I mean, I would be sad if people got killed. But, man, I mean, it, it would be akin to me, you know, seeing like a, a member of the drug cartel killed by a rival gang. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, you were doing some pretty risky stuff. So, I mean, I'm sad that you're dead, but like, yeah, you kind of had it coming, like getting involved in the kind of things you were involved with, you know, like you literally forced people into poverty and, and forced people away from their families. Like, eh, well, you know, you, you reap what you sow. Um, you know, the, the, the media was actually like comparing the Capitol storming to 9-11, uh, which led to a lot of, you know, other people making that comparison. And why? Why would the state want this comparison to be made? Because that's a temple and the priesthood was in danger, you know? I mean, like, how many times did we hear the word sacred <laughs> again, sacred in the, in the reporting of that event? It's not sacred. It's, it's a building built and maintained with blood and stolen money. And it's full of people who make their living from stealing from us. There is nothing sacred about it. You know, their lives are not qualitatively better than the people who perished in the BLM riots. In fact, the argument could be made that they are not worth as much as, you know, to society or anyone else as the productive business owners who had their lives ruined by the BLM riots. I can make a strong argument that a business owner does more for you than a congressman ever will in their lifetime. So the last thing I'm going to talk about today, it's not a new thing something that persists you know uh the covid stuff obviously you uh you obviously know where i stand with this by now even if this is like your first time listening to the show i mentioned at the top of the show the way certain religions kind of splinter off from the main one um so the covid religion or the superstition uh has splintered off from the main religion of statism but it it, it does kind of occupy its its own space now Many people have talked about the moving of goalposts when it when it comes to the COVID restrictions, but a lot of people don't realize that this is actually a, a form of faith building. Um, so the initial lockdown was supposed to be two weeks, and the rationale for that was so the hospitals don't get overwhelmed. Uh, well, that turned out not to really be a problem anywhere outside of like New York, and even New York got it figured out pretty quickly. Um, but by the time the two weeks was over, the goalpost was moved to waiting for cases to go down. 
So around the summertime, cases were way down, and then they said we had to wait for a vaccine. Now we have a vaccine, but they're saying we can't return to normal life, even with a vaccine. We still have to wear masks, and maybe two masks, and social distance, and avoid large gatherings, and all that stuff. Scarcely does anyone even remember that the whole point of this at the beginning was not to eradicate the virus from the face of the earth, which you probably cannot do, but the point was so the hospitals don't get overwhelmed. So yes, we can attribute a lot of this, you know, like goalpost shifting to government incompetence, and definitely to a large degree, you know, a lust for power is probably at play, but uh, what is actually happening is a faith-building exercise. John Hayward was talking about this in a Twitter thread a couple weeks ago, and he basically said that uh, when a theory shatters, faith is the glue that holds it together. So the hospitals never got overwhelmed. Okay, so the theory was shattered. Like, but what was the response? Not the rational response, which was to say viruses are going to virus and move on with our lives. The response was a placement of faith in a new theory. Almost a complete denial of the old theory, and now we have a new theory. Uh, we have to wait for the cases to go down. So it's a placement of faith in the state to protect us and these so-called experts to tell us what to do and how we're going to survive this. And once we have a new goal, uh, a new word from on high, we have something to live for and to strive for and to put our faith in. So now our whole focus is cases going down. And you can't falsify earlier goals if you already have a new goal to focus on. So new theory, new goal, renewed faith. And then the same thing happened when the goal was moved to focus on vaccines. And we'll probably see it happen a few more times that way. You know, the ultimate goal is probably going to be zero cases worldwide, uh, which may not even be a possibility. But uh, if the experts tell us that's what the goal is, then by George, that's what we're going to do. You know, you see this with, with any cult or religion that, you know, predicts the end of the world, uh, the day the world is supposed to end. Uh, you know, comes and goes unceremoniously, and, and then the cult leader tells his followers uh, why the end of the world didn't come. And they set their focus on the next day the world is supposed to end. And here's an interesting parallel. Usually the explanation is something along the lines of, well, the end of the world didn't come because you did X, Y, or Z, or they did X, Y, or Z. You know, we didn't have enough faith. We didn't accomplish what we were supposed to accomplish, so on and so forth. Um, you know, what happened every time the end of the world never came for the COVID religion? A governor or a doctor who may not even be a doctor in some cases, or some unqualified bureaucrat of some sort, you know, they came out and berated people for not wearing their masks or still having church or still having parties or still leaving the house. Uh, you know, we can we can blame this on the Sturgis motorcycle rally or a Trump rally or the Super Bowl. You know, it doesn't matter that the data isn't backing up any of their claims. We have a scapegoat. We have a call to action. We have a priesthood to tell us what to do. You know, the governor of Nevada was doing this exact thing, and then he tested, you know, positive for COVID a few days later. That's weird. Uh, you were just out here berating people for not following the guidelines, and then you got it. It's inexplicable. You know, much was made out of the Super Bowl in Florida. You know, very few people were wearing masks, and uh, there were a, a lot of people there, and, and it was supposed to be catastrophic. Well, you know, pull up the COVID chart for Florida, and you'll see that over a month later, cases are still declining. 
so they had the Super Bowl and nothing happened. But no one is even thinking about that. Because by the time, you know, they said, well, in 14 days, you're going to see this thing spike. And, and then by the time the dreaded, you know, 14 day period came after the Super Bowl, we were on to the next catastrophe. And no one's even looking at Florida charts to see if the Super Bowl prediction came true. You know, I noticed uh, this a lot with the QAnon theories. You know, they made some outlandish claims. And by the time these things were supposed to come to fruition, they had something else they were talking about or looking forward to and no one was even thinking about the failed prediction anymore but the thing that has disgusted me since the very beginning has been the sick fetishization of catastrophe you know i i've i've never once heard someone say hey eh, you know I'm, I'm a little worried about people getting together with their families for christmas uh, you know, it could be bad, but let's hope everything's okay and nothing bad happens. I've never once heard, you know, even a modicum of hope that things will be okay or some freaking humility that, like, they've been wrong about everything. You know, it's always like, oh, Florida's going to be sucking in two weeks. Everyone's going to die in Florida. And, and it's the sick delight in the idea that the infidels of your faith will suffer for their sins. They want the infidel to burn, you know? You see this kind of thing in a lot of religions. You know, not all, but a lot of them. And, uh, you know, not all religions are like Christianity, where, where we hope that people don't have to suffer on Judgment Day. We hope people hear the gospel and repent and stand before their king on Judgment Day, washed by the blood of the Lamb. You know, a lot of religions act act like, uh, you know, okay, well, we'll see how that turns out for you. God's going to get you. You'll be sorry. You know, and some Christians act that way too, but it's not correct. You're just as bad as those people. You don't deserve salvation any more than they do. You should hope that God has grace on them just like he did on you. But the COVID religion doesn't hope for good things for the people who disobey. They don't hope that they receive mercy. They want huge numbers of people dying so they can be right about their predictions. And they never are. That's the worst part. They are never right about these catastrophic events that are supposed to happen, and yet they keep making predictions. COVID uh, has a lot of parallels to the war on terror. You know, it's never going to end. You've made an impossible goal so that you never have to give up the game. You can't really define success or failure in the COVID thing. You know, like, has anyone actually said what the goal is right now? We have the vaccine. You know, zero cases would probably be ideal, but is there an actual level at which you would let people return to normal life? Like, if cases get this low, we can go back to normal? Like, no, you don't really hear that stuff anymore because then the game would end. There's no real exit strategy for this. You, you know, you've set up an invisible opponent like terror or a germ and, and have decided that you'll keep fighting until there's no more terror or no more germs. Well, that's not going to happen. Criticism isn't just ridiculed like it should be or dealt with. It's shut down. It's completely silenced. You know, they claim to have the purest motives in their ideology. And the only reason their goals aren't met is because somebody sabotaged them, you know? So we keep wearing the ceremonial garment. So the COVID spirits will have mercy on us. And I mean, I'm mocking them, but the real claims aren't much crazier than that. There is not a single peer-reviewed study to suggest that the masks are doing anything. In fact, 
Look at the states with the strictest measures, and you'll see that they have the worst cases. Florida is doing a little bit better than California, with no state mandates in place. Yet California is one of the strictest states in the country. The average age in Florida is actually older than the average age in California. And, you know, I mean, it's like a notorious place where people go to retire. And yet California is still worse off. How can that be explained? (laughs) You know, they aren't trying to explain it. And by the way, like even if Florida was a little bit worse, that wasn't the prediction. The the prediction wasn't that, you know, Florida would be 5% worse or something. It was that you're all going to die. Like, this is going to be catastrophic. Bodies piled up in the streets. I mean, like, the things they were saying about Florida were just apocalyptic and ridiculous. And, and, and Florida's doing better. Florida's fine. So if that's any indication, then the masks are not working. Like, I'm sorry. You know, I know people don't believe that. I know people, you know, don't want to hear it. But, like, we are a year into this, and I yet to, I'm yet to see any evidence that the masks are doing anything. We were told, you know, at first that with an 80% compliance rate with the masks, we would uh, we could be out of this whole thing. I don't remember the time frame, but it was it was somewhere in the neighborhood of six weeks. Uh, let's be safe and say three months. You know, I'm feeling generous. 80% compliance with masks, and uh, we're out of it in three months. Okay, well, we have a much higher than 80% compliance rate, north of 90%. I would venture to say upper 90s. Let's put it this way. I'm in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. You know, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. And if I'm not wearing a mask somewhere, I am the only one. <laughs> so we have a much higher compliance rate than, than what they promised us that we needed. And it hasn't seemed to have any effect on the cases. And if it did, it was nowhere near as effective as they promised us. I'll link to this in the show notes as well. I know I've shared this with you before, but if you didn't go look at it, then shame on you. You need to. Uh, Tom Woods has these charts on his uh, website, and they're just the normal charts that show the cases, um, the COVID cases in a given state or area. Uh, But he put on the chart when a mask mandate went into effect. And almost without exception, cases go through the roof, sometimes a month later, like it's all, it's almost like the masks are making it worse somehow. And, you know, I've got theories about that, but it's not what we're really, you know, talking about today. If you haven't seen the video of Rand Paul questioning, uh, Anthony Fauci, I highly recommend checking it out. It just came out a couple days ago, but, uh, I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes, but he's, he's just trying to figure out wh- why people who have either been vaccinated or have already had the virus, like are still expected to wear masks. And Fauci's response basically came down to like, in case there's a new variant in case, because of something that might happen, like you could justify anything because of what might happen. <laughs> if that doesn't tell you that the masks are never going away, then then you're just not being honest with yourself. Like, they will make us wear them forever if it suits them. I know that sounds crazy, but like, uh, look, dude, two weeks turned into a year. So, I mean, I was right about that. You should know not to doubt me at this point. So, you know, we're wearing something on our faces that doesn't work in order to protect us from something that they ascribe personality traits to. You know, think about it. Like, they talk like uh, COVID is a person, you know? C- 
COVID hates Trump rallies, but loves BLM protests. And I'm not making that up. I mean, I'm, I'm mocking them, but Anthony Fauci actually said that the protests were important enough for people to go out and not respect the guidelines. So people could go out and do that. You know, it, it loves things the state loves and it hates things the state hates. You know, COVID might attack you if you walk into a restaurant without a mask. But, you know, if you just walk 10 feet over there to a table and sit down, you'll be fine. You know, they ascribe preferences to this invisible force and actions. Also actions. Remember, the virus wrecked the economy. The virus forced you not to be able to see your family for Christmas. Uh, the virus forced you to watch your dad die on FaceTime. The government had nothing to do with that. It was the virus. It's basically a superstition that says if you wear the ceremonial garment, even though it's not proven to work, this invisible force won't hurt you. Like a fairy or a spirit or something. And it's a lie. You know who this invisible force chooses? Pretty much everybody. You know who wears the mask? Pretty much everybody. <laughs> it's just nonsense. But that is the nature of false religions. They are founded on lies. The elite profit while the followers suffer, and you can't question them. So the best thing we can do as Christians is to not participate in this false religion whenever possible. Share the gospel with people and tell them that there's a better way. There's a better God than the state. There's a better and truer way to life than the life that the state offers you. Look at, look at the life that the state is offering you right now. Work from home. Wear a mask in the shower. You know, stay away from your family. The state offers you a life of slavery. You know, and, and that would have been mildly crazy sounding in 2019, but I think at this point, you know, I think people are, are, are a little more receptive to hearing that now, you know, like now that, now that they see how bad it can really get, you know, I think a lot of people were in slight denial about how bad um, state control could really get until they live through 2020. And even still, there's a lot of you who are not willing to hear it and are not willing to, to believe me, but uh, you know. God, God offers you eternal and free life. There's a better path of atonement for our sins than, you know, the outrageous things that have been done in the name of social justice over the last year. You know, we can look to Christ and have our sins forgiven. I can, you can, the Nazi can, the BLM rioter can, and the Trump supporter who stormed the Capitol can. We can stop tearing each other apart Stop being puppets of the state that seeks to control how we think and react to things, and we can find true freedom and justice and life in Christ. All right, it's gonna do it for this week. That was, uh, yeah, that was a rough one. I'm, I'm, you know, my blood pressure is certainly elevated. I hope I didn't have that effect on you while you're listening to it. I uh, hope you weren't uh, sitting down for a nice relaxing listen. Uh, but, you know, got to do it every once in a while. You know, I, I think I showed great restraint uh, not not having a political episode since October. Um, so, yeah, that being said, head over to Patreon and sign up to be a member of the elect at patreon.com slash death of death. It's only four dollars a month. That's less than the price of a good cup of coffee. Remember that every time you buy a cup of coffee. Uh, we're going through Christopher Hitchens' book, uh, God Is Not Great, every month on the exclusive Patreon podcast. 
Um, just yesterday, I recorded an episode with uh, Patreon supporter Brian Seitz about chapters three and four of that book, and it was really, really good. Uh, so if you want to hear that on Friday when it drops, head over to Patreon and sign up to be a member of the elect. Uh, that's all I've got in the way of business today. Um, so I think that's it. All right. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you next week. We'll be right back.